0: It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air with Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network, you're listening to Music City Gold.
1: And welcome, guys, back to another episode of Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We are brought to you by 7th Element, and I am your host, Kyle. With me is Matt. Hey, guys. And no, Daniel. Because he unfortunately had an appointment that he could not get out of because we were actually supposed to record last week, and we had some things come up, so we couldn't, so we rescheduled for today. And then turns out Daniel, later on today, was like, hey, guys, I can't make it, so it's me and Matt. Trudging through, we're going to get this done today, man.
2: That's right. It'll be okay. I like, a, I like to adhere to a rigid schedule myself. I'm fairly OCD of a person, but I remember a famous saying that said, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape. So this is a good uh, little exercise for me to learn how to adapt and uh, do it uh, at a s- different time other than what was scheduled. The noise
1: you just heard on the phone is we do have a guest with us today. Since Daniel couldn't make it, we asked Robbie Stanley, of the Locked On Predators podcast. And Robbie, correct me if I'm right, it's the new radio show on 102.5 called The Smash Brothers with Adam Fingan, correct?
3: That is correct. And it could be the greatest thing ever or the worst. We're we're still trying to determine how that's going to be.
1: Well, I will say I enjoyed you guys' use of the Smash Brothers gifts because I'm a big Smash Brothers fan. Uh, Full disclosure, Smash Brothers Melee forever. That's my absolute favorite one.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, I'm partial to the N64 one myself, but I think Adam really just enjoys the new one on the Switch. I think that's when he really first got into it. He, does, he hasn't told me that, but that's kind of the vibe I get.
1: So who was your go-to character on the 64 one? Because for me, I was a big either Link fan or Luigi fan.
3: I was big into Link too, and then Captain Falcon. I loved Captain Falcon on the N64 one and Thomas as well. Like I kind of rotated around, but my two main ones, were Link and Captain Falcon. I was better with Captain Falcon.
2: Matt, did you have one? Uh, I played it, but I didn't own it, so I just played at friend's house, whatever was available. I don't. I might have played the same guy, but I don't remember his name. So, See, the biggest difference, Matt, when you took from the 64 version to the
1: melee version was the speed of how everything moved. I went back and played the 64 version a while back, and it's so much slower compared to the rest of them. Think you agree with that, Robbie? Oh,
3: 100%. And You know, I think I have the same Nintendo 64 I've had since 1995. Like, I've never gotten a new one. It's just the same one. And every now and then I'll go back and play it, and I'm like, this is both the greatest and the worst thing of all time. Because when you're growing up, you think, okay, these graphics are outstanding. Like, it's never going to get any bigger than this. And then you'll go back and play, like, either Smash Bros or who knows what else on Nintendo 64, and you're like, I can barely see what's going on. How did I ever play this?
1: Do you have GoldenEye?
3: Oh yes, yeah. oh
1: yes. Yeah. I have plenty of memories with Matt, and Daniel, a couple other guys I grew up with. Just all night bingers, a four player GoldenEye, loved it. And like you said, the graphics of that time of that game, especially, were amazing. The level design was great. And now I look at it now, I'm going, man, it's just block shapes running around.
3: It is, it is. And and somebody would always cheat on GoldenEye, and they would end up being odd job, who was like five feet shorter than everybody else. So you have to adjust your aim. And by the time you held the trigger long enough to aim down low, you were already dead.
1: See, my brother, we used to play it a lot, just me and him back and forth. And we'd always go and get all the additional settings. And we used to play a variation where we would use the proximity mines. That's all we did. Just threw them everywhere. And it was just a nice little fun game of, you know, which step is going to be your last. Loved it.
3: Just slaps only. Yeah, there's a lot of options out there.
1: Matt, you're quiet. Did you not play games growing up?
2: Uh, no, not really. What did you do growing up? Well, there's still time. There's still time. Exactly. I can be a a new age hipster and go back to the old school. Yeah. I didn't uh, have all the cool stuff as a kid, I guess. I I do happen to remember, uh, the school I went to, I don't know if it was like a special sleep overnight or whatever, how I got introduced to this, but I remember, and I still remember it, the classic NHL game from the Nintendo original. And I remember it being, you could pick from three guys, there was like a, a small guy, and then there was a huge fat guy that was really powerful, and there was a guy in the middle. You could be only three guys, and it was extremely hard, that video game. And I don't know if that stands the test of time, but I still remember that as being one of my favorite NHL games, actually. That sounds like NHL 94. No, it it's older than old that. It like NHL 94. It, it might be 94 then, I'm not sure, but uh, I remember that. See, I've
1: still got my original Nintendo 2. And my wife found it the other day, and she's like, what are you doing with this? And she's like, you need to get rid of it. And I was like, don't you dare touch that. I was like, it works to this day still. I've got the gun and everything.
3: That needs needs to be the last time she brings that up. My, My wife said the same thing about my Nintendo 64 when we moved in. I said, I don't even want you to look at this thing ever again. This is mine.
1: Just talking about this, Matt, with Robbie. I feel like just a connection on another level, man. you got to get on this level.
2: I know. It brings back the sentimental value. It might only be worth $10, but it's worth a whole childhood of memories, I can tell. That's one of those things that goes in the, in the man cave, in the closet where the wife's not allowed in the man zone, for sure. That is correct.
1: So on man caves, this actually goes right into my topic on Preds. So we're actually redoing one of the rooms in my house for an office because my wife decided that, hey, you can't have one blank bedroom and an office space, and I want your office for a guest bedroom. So, for the past month, I've been moving everything from one room to another, and I was going through my closet of some stuff, and I found my newspapers back when Mike Fisher retired and when the Preds made the Stanley Cup playoffs. It was amazing. I'm sorry. Stanley That's Cup final playoffs. Fun. Yeah. I was excited. and I told her, I said, we got to go buy frames for this. And so, she agreed to it. So, small victories, guys. Small victories. That's nice. That makes it some nice.
3: Do. Small victories are all you get when you get married. <laughs>
1: But like I said, we're here to talk some Preds, so let's get into it. So Robbie, Peter Laviolette was fired from the Preds on January 6th. And so John Hines from the New Jersey Devils comes in, and it's been about 13 games. The team has went 7-6 and six so far underneath his reign. We know how Loviet coached the team. We know how his system went. We know how the mindset of the Preds went. But with John Hines, we're seeing just a little bit of a difference. You know, here a game or two, we'll see a flash of, This is a team that we think could make the playoffs, and then we have a game or two where we're like, oh, no, this is the exact same team we've always had. But being somebody who has talked with John Hines after games, uh, seen the team in practice since then, what is the biggest change you think uh, John Hines has brought to the team so far?
3: Well, I think there's a couple things, and I'll start with just kind of a stylistic way that they've gone about doing different things defensively you may have noticed they've gone from basically what was man coverage under Peter Laviolette to now they're more of a hybrid zone concept that they're running under John Hines. So if you'll notice, like there's usually always somebody in front of their net on defense, in the defensive zone. And under Peter Laviolette, that wasn't always the case. You would see defensemen chasing guys up the wall or, or along the corner battling for pucks, you'll still see that from time to time. Uh, but more often than not, you'll see a, at least one defenseman right in front of the net, playing more of a zone concept. And I think that's more of a simple change that you make defensively to make sure you're not running around out there and, and getting caught out of position. There are certain advantages to playing man-to-man. Like, if you win your battle in, in man-to-man and you're able to get the puck back, you usually have a pretty good chance of having an odd-man rush going back the other way. But there are also some risks as well. If you get beat, you're probably going to give up a quality scoring chance. So I think the Predators have taken kind of more of a safer route defensively and gone with a zone concept. And for the most part, I think it's worked out pretty well. Every now and then you'll see some breakdowns, but mostly I think they've been better in terms of their defensive zone zone play as a whole. Offensively, I think it's kind of been a little bit more of a simple change. And and I think when you take a look at what they've been able to do offensively, not as much quantity as they've had under Peter Laviolette, but the quality has improved. And I think a big reason for that is if you remember back when when Peter Laviolette was the coach and the system they were running, they used to come out with a phrase that said, you know, our defensemen have the green light to join the rush whenever they want to. And a lot of times that meant leading the rush. And this is no disrespect to Rowan Yossi or Ryan Ellis or Ekholm, any of those guys, because obviously they're super talented. Uh, But you really don't want your defensemen kind of leading the rush all the time. If you'll watch them play now, there are still kind of instances when Roman Yosti will join the rush and, and lead it that way, but it's not happening anywhere near as much as it was before. There's been a heavy emphasis on, hey, when you get the puck in the D zone or you get it in the neutral zone, get your head up and find the forwards and get the puck to the forwards as much as you possibly can. And I think that's a huge reason why we've seen Mikhail Granlin specifically come alive, because that plays right into his strength when he's able to operate on the rush and make plays that way. So. Not too many changes that I think they've been able to make, quite frankly, just because there's not a ton of practice time this this time of year. I think to implement every change that John Hines wants to make, it's honestly probably going to take an entire training camp in order to do that. But those are some of the things that I've noticed that he's been able to do. And I think the other thing uh, that he's working on is just the mentality of this group. He he mentioned the phrase mental fortitude a ton. He's trying to get this team to be tougher mentally, to, to have some pushback in their game. There have been some mixed results on that front. You think back to the, to the trip, uh, not this trip, but the one before in Washington and in New Jersey, I think that was a pretty good example of what he was talking about. You know, you're down in the game, you're down heading into the third period, and you find a way to battle back and win games. There's still been kind of a mixed bag in terms of the pushback in their game since then. So those are the changes that I think that, that Hines has both implemented and that he's still trying to implement with this group as, they, as they're currently constructed right now.
2: So bringing change from a coaching perspective to the team uh, brings a, has to bring about a change in mentality to the team. And that's a word we get thrown around a lot is mentality. And I know your co-host, Adam Vinigan, published an article a couple weeks ago uh, that was titled Heinz doesn't have enough time to repair the Predators' mindset this season. And if you look at the Preds organizations, it's kind of a mindset we've seen all season thus far. The team kind of hits the first sign of a challenge or adversary, and uh, they seem to fall apart. So, if Hines doesn't have enough time to repair this quote unquote mentality, what can he do, in your opinion, to mitigate that?
3: Well, I think some of it is just coming from examples. Like I mentioned, the Washington and New Jersey game a week ago or a week and a half ago, however long ago that was now. I think it's easy to point to and say, look, when you guys stick with it, when you stick with the plan, that we've put out in front of you, good things can happen. Is it always going to happen? No. Are there going to be times in the game where you're pushing as hard as you can and and you just fall short? Of course. I mean, there's going to be times where that happens. But you also have to understand, like, it's the National Hockey League. I mean, you're going to go down in games. Like, you're going to get behind one to nothing. There are going to be times you get behind by two or three goals. That doesn't mean that you have to fold the tent and just pack it up and come back next time. And too often this year... That's been what's happened essentially with the Predators, and they've even admitted that. When I talked to them in the locker room, they said, "You know, there've been there've been too many times this year where things haven't gone our way, and we just stop, like uh, we just kind of fold the tent." And it's pretty mystifying to me, and I know to a lot of fans out there to hear that from this group. Just because you take a look at how much experience this core group has together. I mean, a lot of them have been to the Stanley Cup final. A lot of them have won a President's Trophy. There's been a ton of success. And you don't get success in the NHL without having to battle through some type of adversity along the way. So the fact that we've even had to have this discussion this year, I think, it has been pretty surprising to me, given this, how veteran of a group this is. But years are different. I mean, sometimes you just go through things and the confidence just isn't there. And I think that's a large part of what the Predators have been struggling with and been dealing with this year. I just don't think they're a very confident hockey team. And sometimes when that happens, you second guess yourself. Sometimes, you know, fans think maybe they're not trying. I think sometimes the opposite is true. They're trying too hard, and that takes them out of their game rather than just kind of reading and reacting. So I think, you know, if, if things continue to go the way that they have, as you mentioned, that where the mental fortitude and the pushback is hit or miss, sometimes it's not there, a lot of times it's not there, And I think David Poyle has to take a pretty long look this offseason. And number one, trying to figure out why that is, I I think that's a challenging thing to try to figure out. And number two, if you can figure out what it is, maybe you have to make some personnel changes in order to kind of accommodate for that. Because this can't happen again next year where you bring back a group that has shown that the pushback in their game isn't there. you got to do something as a general manager to fix that part of it and as a coach as well. I mean, some of that's going to be on John Hines as they move forward, not on the rest of this year, uh, but next year as well. And I do think they've made some progress in that area. I think we've shown a little bit of uh, pushback and seen a little bit of pushback in their game, uh, but certainly not consistently enough. And that's the next challenge for Hines and his coaching staff.
1: Okay, Robbie. So changing gears just a little bit, I want to talk about the offense. So we've talked about, you know, that this team, has some pushback issues. But one thing we've also noticed is that the team has an issue with just capitalizing on the offense they have with them. So for example, you've got Matt Duchesne, Kyle Turris, Craig Smith, Ryan Johansson, Victor Arvidsson, and Mikhail Grandlin, who are all having down years. Uh, Elliot Freeman on his 31 Thoughts blog said he spoke to David Poyle recently and Poyle was quoted as saying, you understand that this can happen to one or two players, but so many of them in regards to that the fact that their scoring is down overall. In fact, one of the most offensive lines we've seen so far for the Preds this season has been the line of Nick Bonino, Craig Smith, and Rocco Grimaldi, and those guys are producing, but our top scorers aren't there. And when I looked at the players earlier, those players I mentioned bring around thirty six point three million dollars of cap space, and we're just seeing down years from all of them. Is it possible that this is, that this team is just snake bitten completely? Well, I mean, you
3: would certainly think so. I mean, when, when you read off those numbers, you just wrote off, and look, this goes back to a thing you hear all the time, not only in hockey, but in sports in general, right? I mean, your best players have to be your best players, and that's probably the most cliche thing of all things, but it's 100% true, and that's I think a big part of, of why the Predators are where they are this year. I mean, two in particular really stand out to me, and you've mentioned, you know, Turris and and Craig Smith and uh, Ryan, Ryan Johansson, Kyle Turris. I mean, Two of those guys really stand out to me, and that's Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson. They just don't look anywhere close to the same players as we've grown accustomed to them being. I I still think Duchesne, I mean, he hasn't been great, but he's been okay. I mean, he's going to end up probably around 50, 55 points. But if you look at his career, that's basically what he does. And I I tried to tell people that before they signed him. I think it's a good move that they signed him. I think he's going to be a good player here for a long time. But he's not really the seventy point guy that he showed to be last year in Columbus. And that if you look back at his career, it really kind of kind of you know spells it out that way. He's typically a fifty-five point guy, maybe a sixty point guy. And he's probably gonna end up somewhere around that number this year as they close out the season here. Two to me that just didn't have to pick it up are Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson. And I know Arvidsson got hurt earlier in the year and I'm still not convinced that he's 100% healthy right now. He just doesn't look the same to me. I think the effort is still there. But if you remember, I mean, Arvidsson gets most of his offense and most of his chances off the rush. And that's just not happening for him this year. His shots per game are way down. His production is down, obviously. And look, it's not, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. You look at him, he's not the biggest guy. So if you start getting in a cycle game with him and putting him in front of the net and having him battle for puck along the wall. He's not going to win too many of those battles. And it's not for a lack of trying. It's just because he's not physically, you know, imposing. He's much smaller than most of the competition that he's going up against. But he's been able to overcome that with his speed and his ability to create off the rush. And he's got an absolutely great shot that when he's open, he can utilize well. He just hasn't been getting open very much and has not been able to take advantage of opportunities off the rush for the most part this year. Ryan Johansson, his production five on five. Look, I've made the argument the past probably two or three years that Ryan johansson has been their strongest player five on five. I fully believe that he has driven this offense. Even last year when Forsberg and arvidsson missed a lot of time, that first line with him on it was still productive because he was kind of driving the bus. I don't know what's going on with him this year, but it just hasn't looked the same. He's gotten he's been a little bit better As of late, but there's still another level I think he can get to, and that he's going to have to get to. And you got to remember, like you said, he's making eight million dollars per year, so that's going to be something that you're going to need a lot more production for that amount of money than you've been getting. So that's got to be, I think, probably the most frustrating part of this season for David Poyle is the guys that he's brought in and paid big money to, like Johansson, like Arvidsson, to a certain degree, Tourist. Even though I think he's been better, Mikael Granlund as well. Struggle for the majority of this year, obviously, has come on in the last two or three weeks. But they have not been consistently good. And that can't happen when you're paying as much money to these guys as they're paying.
2: Well, I think that kind of brings up the elephant in the room question. The Preds are currently standing on the outside looking into the playoff position. So going forward, seeing how they are underperforming, they're kind of on the cusp. Maybe they make the playoffs, maybe they don't. Do you see the Preds going forward as being buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? If there are going to be any moves made, who do you foresee possibly being dealt? Perhaps Craig Smith or Mikhail Granlin come to mind because they're unrestricted free agents. But also, you know, I kind of look in my mind, I've seen Craig Smith on a roster for a while. I'm growing kind of fond of him as being a staple to this team, honestly. He's, he's fairly consistent. So I wonder. Is there anybody on this roster that's considered to be untouchable as far as trades go, as far as anybody that they won't deal? And is that a tough question considering how it went down with Shea Weber and everybody thought he was kind of untouchable as well?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it goes back to kind of the old saying that, that people say, you know, Wayne Gretzky got traded. So if Wayne Gretzky can get traded pretty much anybody can get traded. Now, having said that, they're not going to trade Pecorino. They're not going to trade Roman Yosti. They're probably not going to trade Ryan Ellis or Matthias Eckholm either. I doubt very seriously they trade Matt Duchesne. And I'm talking about not only at this trading deadline, but as we move forward in the next couple of years here. I, I would just be surprised if any of those guys get moved. To answer your first question, I don't think it's very likely that they're going to be a fire at the trading deadline this year. And if they are a buyer, it's not going to be anything really that big. I don't think, number one, they don't have a lot of assets to use, nor do they have a lot of, uh, some assets that they should use. Uh, and number two, you know, I just think from a salary cap position, you you have to be cognizant that moving forward, especially if you go out and get somebody with term, that you're going to have a lot of decisions to make. I mean, Roman Yoski's contract kicks in next year. You have to decide whether or not you want to enter into negotiations including Grandlin Grandland and Craig Smith. I mean, there are a lot of things that you have to account for uh, as a team that's kind of inching up closer and closer to that cap. So I would be very surprised that the Predators are a buyer this year. And if they if they do decide to go that route, I would expect it to be a minor move. I think the more likely option is that they'll sell. Uh, and if they do that, I, I think Grandlin and Smith are the, are the two names to come to mind. And I think this next week here, is going to go a long way in determining what David Boyle does. I mean, they've got some tough games coming up against you know, Vancouver. They have you know, New York Islanders on Thursday night and then a back-to-back to back with saint Louis. I mean, if you lose three out of four of those games, the probably does to have to be a seller at that point. Like, you're you're going to be probably five, six points out of a playoff spot at that point. And I think David Boyle really hasn't made up his mind yet, but I, I would be very surprised if, if they were a buyer this year. I think the more likely scenario is they either stand pat and do nothing if they're still in a similar position where they are right now where they're barely on the outside looking in for the playoffs If you don't really want to give up on it yet they're probably more likely to do nothing at that point and if they fall out of it here in the next week week and a half where you know you go on a, a losing streak and get ice cold and you lose four of the next five or whatever the case may be I think it's pretty likely at that point that Granlin and Smith could be on the trading block and remember it's just because you trade, you know, Mikhail Granlin or Craig Smith at the trading deadline, that doesn't mean that you can't re sign one, if not both of them in the offseason. And and I wouldn't be surprised if they end up deciding to go a seller route where they trade Craig Smith, get what they can for him, and then say, hey, look, you know, come July, we'll be talking to you. We'd love to have you back. We've seen that happen throughout the league on, on numerous occasions, but certainly some interesting decisions that David Foyle is going to have to make. And the tough part for him is he doesn't have a whole lot, a whole lot of time left to make them.
1: So you're talking about moves that David Polk could possibly make. So one question I had, and it's really interesting, so the Preds are big rivals with the Jets. And everybody in the hockey world has been talking that one of the biggest names on the Jets team is Dustin Bufflin, that him and the Jets are going to be mutually terminating their contract with each other more than likely. Bufflin hasn't skated the entire season, and he has a huge presence on the on the blue line, I think back to the game um, I can't remember which playoff series it was against Nashville, where he basically manhandled two of our players and a ref during a fight. Dude's massive. So, if him and the Jets do indeed part ways, like it looks like they're going to, and he doesn't retire, could he be somebody that the Preds possibly look to pick up to bolster the blue line? I mean, because you've got Dan Hughes, Matt Irwin, and Yannick Weber all UFA at the end of the season.
3: I think there's a chance they can take a look at him for sure. Now, if I'm the Predators and I'm David Boyle, there's probably a certain number I'm willing to go to. And that number to me probably is not much above three and a half, four million a half, $4 million per year. Because like you said, Kyle, I mean, he hasn't played all year. There were some injury concerns heading into the year where he really hasn't skated. I think at one point was contemplating retiring. So we'll see what decision he makes at the end of all this and whether or not he continues to want to still play. But, you know, you're talking about a guy who's got a lot of got a mileage on him, uh, played a lot of hockey. And, you know, at the to be honest with you, at the end of the day, when you take a year off and you're his age, I would be very wary if I'm an NHL general manager uh, of what I would be comfortable giving him. And, and certainly I think the Predators should take a look at him. They should kick the tires on him if he continues to want to play. I think a lot of teams around the league, are going to do that, but I would not get into a bidding war uh, with Dustin Bufflin. I think their blue line, for the most part, is fine. I think you're going to continue to see Dante Fabro improve. I think next year he's going to be a lot better than he's been this year. And like you said, I mean, they are going to have some holes to fill. Amuse, Irwin, Weber, all more than likely will not be back next year if I had to guess. That gives some opportunities for some guys in Milwaukee to take that next step and come up here and play full time NHL minutes and maybe. Uh, in, uh, David Foyle does look at adding some some free agency defensemen in the offseason, but you know I, I wouldn't be very comfortable with giving Dustin Bufflin, D- Dustin Bufflin a big contract if I were David Foyle.
1: Well, I personally think they should keep Dan Hamhouse on the team until he scores a goal. That man just cannot. He's one of the few remaining players left. And at this point, I'm like, yeah, Hamus is probably not coming back, but I still want to see him get a goal on the score sheet.
3: I thought we had one the other night. Benino tipped it, but I thought for about a half a second, I thought, this is it. He's done it. But then, it was, then we were all robbed.
2: Well, I'm not sure how much cap space there will be to sign a big name like Bufflin going forward here to get any kind of a deal out of them. So, really, I think a lot of the progress to come to the Predators uh, here soon is going to really develop, uh, depend on younger players developing. So, we've seen, had a couple of glimpses of Yaakov Trennan and Colin Blackwell thus far. Trennan, he has scored two goals and four assists in 17 games, and Blackwell has scored two goals and three assists in 21 games. So now that we've had a little bit look at them, how do you think they're developing uh, going forward, and what do you think of uh, their overall status moving forward?
3: Well, I've been very impressed with both of those guys, uh, especially Trennan. I think his size and kind of the straight-line way in which he plays the game is an element the Predators don't really have. And He's got some skill, obviously, as you mentioned there, to go along with it. And I'll be honest with you, when when we went to training camp this year and he was playing in the preseason, I thought he had you know a fairly decent training camp. But really in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, this year is kind of put up or shut up for Yakov Trenin. And I wasn't very confident that he was going to be able to be as productive, certainly as he's been this year. Uh, but certainly not enough to get to the NHL level. And he has proven me wrong. I think he's played extremely well. And I think, quite honestly, if you're asking me, uh, I think he's earned a full-time spot in the NHL lineup. Now, obviously, when you have as many one-way contracts and as many veteran players as the Predators have, particularly at the forward spot, sometimes that's hard to do. But I certainly think next year, knockoff Trenin is going to be a part of their plans. I think he's going to make the team out of training camp, and I think he deserves to Deserves to be there. Colin Blackwell, I think he's played very well as well. I mean, he's not the most skilled guy. He's not going to put up a ton of offense, but he brings the same level of energy every single night. And quite frankly, the Predators haven't had a lot of guys this year that have brought the same level of intensity and energy every night. And I think that's a big reason why he's been able to be effective is every shift he goes out there, you know what you're going to get out of Colin Blackwell. And I think that could be a lesson to some other guys on the roster as well. So I've been very impressed with what I've seen out of the two of them. And I think both of them have have warranted long-term consideration in terms of being NHL regular players. I think they've been that good.
1: Now, one question I want to add on real quick, Robbie, this was not in my notes that I sent you earlier today, but I want to talk real quick on Austin Watson because Jakob Trinnen and Colin Blackwell, like we all agree, have been doing great. And I think that may leave Watson being one of the odd men looking in. We've seen him scratched a couple times under, under uh, John Hines. Tonight, he's going to be playing against Vancouver. But I was looking at some stats on him on Evolving Hockey. And I noticed that one thing is that his goals per 60 minutes is about, three nine, is about a 3.92, which is two more goals compared to Cal Yarncrook, who is second on goals per 60 at 2.35. And then when it comes to his uh, shots against that he allows, he's allowing around 63 shots Per game when he's on the ice compared to uh, Yannick Weber, who he just edges out at 62 shots. So, with how well, I guess circling back, how well that Yakov and Trenton are doing, do we expect to see Watson sitting more in the press box and eventually maybe not being on the Preds team, despite he still has quite a bit of term left on his contract with the Preds?
3: Well, that's the thing; they, they signed into a three-year deal back in October, so that contract that they signed into. Looks, I think, worse now. Now, the money on it and and the term on it are really not that big a deal. I think it's a $1.5 million AAB. So, I think it's a $4.5 million total contract. So, it's not huge money that you're talking about. But there's no question he struggled this year. And I think if you look at some of the stats you talked about there, and then just the eye test as well. I mean, he he just hasn't played well. And, And that's a big reason why since John Hines has taken over, a lot of times Austin Watson has found himself in the press box. I think he's been a healthy scratch in each game on this road trip up until the game against vancouver and i think you might see that happen more often as they move forward here look i mean we talked about it being a fresh start for guys like kyle turris and mikhail Granlund when john hines took over it kind of gave them a the clean slate in which to operate it's also a fresh start in maybe a negative way for other people as well i'm like i'm not sure that austin watson would be sitting this much and this this often if Peter Laviolette was still the coach. Like I, I think Peter Laviolette really liked Austin Watson. Uh but you know when you come in and you bring a new coach in, sometimes them not being familiar with you gives them kind of a, a thirty thousand foot view of the team and they're more likely to make decisions like that. I mean UC Soros just started three games in a row. It's not very often that you've seen that happen when Tech Arena's been healthy and available. So when new coaches come in, sometimes you know, they don't have a whole lot to go on, so they're just kind of basing everything off what they've seen and what they've seen so far has not been very impressive from Austin Watson. So what this means for his long term future here in Nashville, I'm not sure. Like I said, he's got three more years left on his deal. So the predators are probably stuck with him that way. I'm not sure there's a ton of trade value out there if they wanted to go that route. So you may be stuck with him and you may you may you know he may still be a part of this team as we go forward here, but there's no question Uh, He's had a rough year. It's not only been him that's had a rough year, but he certainly has struggled, I think, both from an eye test perspective and and analytically, as you pointed out there as well.
2: Well, let me ask you a question that we love to talk about here is the Norris Trophy race. We'd love to talk about our defensemen and Roman Yossi. We saw the midseason voting, and it looked like it was massively in Carlson's favor to nab the Norris this year despite being fairly close in, in points and, and goals and whatnot. So it's likely that Carlson will get the Norris. But if So if that happens to be true, do you think there is some amount of talk that should be had as far as nominating Roman Yossi for the Hart Trophy consideration? Not something I'd really considered, but if you look at his resume for the Preds, he has, has first-place points, first in assists, and he's third in goals for the Preds organization.
3: I think it's certainly worth considering. I mean, you're talking about a guy that if he continues at this pace, he might end up with 80 points this year. So for anybody, that's a really, really good season. For a defenseman, I mean, you're, you're talking elite-level exceptional status uh, of a season in terms when you when you start talking about an 80-point season. Now, the thing that's working against Roman Yossi from both a Norris Trophy standpoint and I think eventually what will work against them from a heart trophy nomination standpoint is team success. Like it or not, like that, that's how voters operate, that's how these awards are typically given. It's very difficult to win an Norris trophy when your team doesn't make the playoffs. It's pretty much impossible to win a heart trophy if your team doesn't make the playoffs. So if the Predators find themselves on the outside looking in, I think it's going to be really difficult for Yossi to win either one of those awards. I think it's a lock at this point that he's at least going to be nominated for the Norris Trophy, and that'll be the first time in his career that he gets nominated. He'll probably finish second, I think, John Carlson. It's, it's going to be really difficult for Yosti to surpass John Carlson at this point, and Pierre Lebrun joined us the other day on the Smash Brothers and kind of went on a rant about how the Norris Trophy voting operates and how basically it turned into hey, which defenseman finishes with the most amount of points? And that's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be about the best all-around defenseman. And I think you can make a pretty strong argument that Roman Yosi is and has been the best all-around defenseman in the National Hockey League this year. But unfortunately, just with the way the voting works, points are going to factor into it. John Carlson's probably going to finish ahead of Yosi in points. And team success factors into it as well. So I think because of those two things, it's going to be difficult in order for for Yosti to win either one of those awards. But if you're asking me, I I think there's a pretty strong case you can make for both the Norris and the Hart Trophy. I mean, Roman Yosti has like basically physically carried this team to where they're at this year. Without Yosti, I mean, this team would be near the bottom of the league just with the way that they played for the majority of the year. So I think he absolutely deserves consideration for both the Norris and the Hart Trophy. Unfortunately, I don't think he's got much of a chance at this point of winning either
1: one up, And that's a shame because I really would like to see Roman win a trophy. I know a couple weeks ago we were talking about this and just the fact that you said Pierre was ranting about, we kind of ran about the same thing, that the Norris Trophy should be the all-around defenseman, but as Matt told us, that he's a big defense guy and it's a lot harder to quantify the defensive attributes more so than you can just quantify straight up points.
3: Yeah, there's no question about it. And, you know, we've improved a lot in terms of the way we evaluate things with the metrics that we have available to us now. But you're right, it's still very, very difficult to evaluate a, a person's individual defensive impact because so much revolves around the other four defenders on the ice as well as the goaltender as well. So, probably never going to be perfect in that area in terms of evaluating a defender's impact. But like I said, I, I think Roman Yoshi, you can make a pretty strong case has been the best defenseman in the league this
1: year. So the million dollar question that we have here is that the Preds are on the cusp of the playoffs. You know, we we mentioned earlier in our season that the Preds are kind of on a bell curve. They went a while where it was no playoffs, first round, second round, Stanley Cup playoffs. And then it's been second round, first round. And if that bell curve holds true, then they won't make the playoffs this year. So if they don't make it, Robbie, what happens? Does does Paul go on a fire sale? Does he say, I'm done with the whole thing and go somewhere else? Or, you know, what does our fearless GM do? Does he have any magic left in him?
3: I don't think he's going to go on a fire sale just because I I don't think he's going to be able to go on a fire sale. When you have these long-term contracts like they have, it can be very difficult to move them. Now, having said that, if they miss the playoffs and things unravel here in the next couple of months, there's no way this team is coming back here next year and looking the same. And what I mean by that is, one of these core players that I think fans have grown really attached to, you might see one of them on the move, whether it's Ryan Johansson or Victor Arvidsson. I doubt very seriously it's going to be Philip Forsberg. But I think the team is going to look pretty significantly different next year if things continue to unravel the way that they have. Because like you said, I mean, it's not just really a one-year thing. They've won the President's Trophy, got beat in the second round to Winnipeg, And it just kind of was what it was. You lost in the second round in Game 7 to the second-best team in the league statistically at that time. So you said, okay, I mean, we'll just come back next year and see how it goes. They won the division, and that's certainly impressive. But there was never a point last year in the the first round against the Stars where they were in control of that series. Quite honestly, if it wasn't for Packers stealing the game in Game 3, they would have got beaten in five games. So I do agree with you. I think the trajectory that they've been on, has not been pointing in the right direction. I think that's a large reason why Peter Laviolette was fired. And if they end up missing the playoffs this year, John Hines is going to be back. I've already had people messaging me on Twitter asking when they're going to fire John Hines. They're not going to fire John Hines this year. It's not going to happen. So keep that in mind. He will be back. He 100% will be the coach of the Nashville Predators to start training camp next year. But I think there's a pretty good chance this team can look significantly different. The question then becomes, okay, who can David Poyle move and still get some value out of? And, and what kind of free agency position are they in to go in from a salary cap perspective? And how many trades do they have to make to maybe navigate into a better position in free agency in terms of the way the salary cap is, is kind of constructed?
1: So, Robbie, real quick, before we let you go, last time we had you on the show, we asked you about what your favorite media stories were, and as we bring people on the show, we just still like to get to know them a bit more. So, I want to ask you this time around. What is your favorite NHL arena you've been to outside of Bridgestone and what is your favorite, I guess, hockey food to have during a game?
3: Favorite NHL arena I've been to outside of Bridgestone is probably Madison Square Garden in New York. It's just awesome. Like number one, it's Madison Square Garden. It's the most famous arena in the world. And number two, they when I went to it it was right after they did like I think like a billion dollars worth of renovations into it. So it just looks awesome. So that's probably my favorite arena that I've been to. Uh the American Airlines Center in Dallas is also very nice if you haven't been to there. It's what I describe it basically as like a gigantic Ryman auditorium. It kinda has that look and feel to it. But those are probably my two favorite arenas in the league outside of Bridgestone, which I think is also very nice. Favorite food? That's a good question. In the the press kinda like bring us different stuff every game, so there's not really one go to that I have. But in uh in the playoffs, one time they brought us some ice cream sandwiches, some like purity ice cream sandwiches, and I think I had like seven of them in one game oh, wow. because we <laughs> went into overtime. And they, coincidentally, they never brought them again. So I think I convinced them to, you know, for probably the health of everyone around us, to never bring back the ice cream sandwiches. But that was my all-time thing.
2: Sounds like they ran out after that game. <laughs> they did. Man, I would love it. Ice cream sandwiches yeah. in the game. That sounds like a good time. Not going to so lie, that was awesome. Why that don't they have that into the game? You're in a hockey arena. That's brilliant. Have ice cream sandwiches. It's never too cold for ice cream. It's not.
1: I hate you so much right now, Matt. (laughs) Goodness. But Robbie, man, thank you so much for joining us. We'll let you have the rest of your night, and we'll talk to you next time.
3: Yeah, boys, thanks for having me. Anytime. I appreciate it.
1: So switching gears here, Matt, I want to ask you a question.
2: All right. Do you like testing? Sure, love it. Have you played Portal? I have. That's one video game I have played, Kyle. It's a good game.
1: And I always think about the character GLaDOS. In fact, she's my favorite video game villain of all time. Just because she's got that just psychotic rage to her. And it's just, she has one goal to make you test. That's all it is. If you die, so what? She'll keep testing. And do you have any idea what I'm talking about when I'm talking about testing this week?
2: I have a feeling it's going to uh, a specific news item that's happened recently with the Coyotes uh, organization.
1: That's right. So. Darren Drager reported, I believe it was uh, last week, that the Coyotes are being investigated by the league for violating rules regarding fitness testing draft eligible employees before the 2019 Scouting Combine. I didn't realize that before the Scouting Combine was established and hosted in Buffalo, that every team had the ability to do their own quote unquote Scouting Combine of their draft players from their junior leagues or minor leagues. I was like, That's interesting. And apparently it became such a big deal that the junior teams complained to the league and the league actually set up rules that says you can only do so many kinds of testing, but physical testing can only be done at the combine. And so I was like, that's interesting. So how much do you think the fine is per violation of this type of uh, testing?
2: You know, it's kind of hard to say because this is one of those things that's slightly below NHL level. We're kind of on the cusp. We're talking about draft players. It's something that goes under the radar. It might have been happening for a couple of years and we just aren't privy to hear about it. So I don't know. I'd say a fine, maybe $10,000. I don't know.
1: $250,000 per violation.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot.
1: And the Coyotes have been rumored to have at least 20 violations of this. Wow. And quick math, that's $5 million.
2: Yeah, that's, that adds up to a lot for sure.
1: And it makes me wonder because I did some further looking into this and the Coyotes are saying they did not actually have people like do any sort of run test or gym test. They were simply asking them questions about their physical health, their eating habits, their, any supplements they take, and their exercise regimen. But the NHL itself has come out and said that counts as physical testing because you're asking them physical questions about themselves.
2: Yeah, from my understanding, the the point of order that they're mad about is they are conducting illegal physical testing. So there's an amount of questions that can be asked or what have you, kind of interview questions. But what, what crosses the line is when it goes into physical testing specifically. So I've got a quote from Darren Drager that says, sources say it's believed that there are, like you said, 20 counts of the Coyotes fitness testing draft eligible players. NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly and NHL lawyers are now managing the case. So, when we're discussing this testing that happens to these draft eligible players, I think the key takeaway is what is crossing the line as far as physical testing. And I think you had a good analogy about earlier, Kyle.
1: Yeah, the bench pressing. I mean, I can't tell you how much I bench pressed. The last time I bench pressed, it was probably around, I think, 200 pounds. But honestly, that was like three to four years ago when I was big into bench press, and I haven't really been at the gym ever since then. So, But if I come up and say, "Mac, how much can you bench press? And you say, you know, 250, you know, is that really a physical test? And the coyotes say that stuff is kind of gray area because it doesn't really come out and say.
2: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like the players are probably doing it at their own discretion. They're they're uh, they're freely doing it. They're not being like held against their will or whatever. It's not necessarily uh, like I don't know a flexibility test. It's not. I'm not putting my hands on you. So what, what's the definition of physical? Really, does a trainer have to lay his hands on the kid and and give him warm ups and routines, or does he have to place eyeballs on him? Is it any amount of exercise or practice regimen? So. Really, the question is what we don't really know yet. Maybe in a couple of days to follow, in the following week or so, we'll know exactly what what it is in question that revolves around physical testing. It might be something innocuous, or it could be some instance where they're actually trying to find some high-level data on these players and these kids before they're eligible to be subjected to this type of testing. So it's with something that's kind of up in the air yet. We're not really sure. And I, I got a quote from Darren Drager that says that, Ah, uh, each violation, like you mentioned, can carry a fine of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more. And club management and amateur scouts around the league are anxiously awaiting the outcome and Commissioner Bettman's ruling. Uh, no timeline on when a decision will be reached. So I think if if it comes out that the Coyotes are guilty of this, this is going to be something a situation you're going to have to have across the league as a whole, not just the Coyotes organization. Remember, a couple of weeks ago when Bettman. Everybody was cracking down on these coaches and their antics. And now we're going to... Bettman said he's going to release a a call-in hotline number or whatever to to call in about these situations in the future because they got a report about one coach doing it. So they said, all right, we're going to implement it across the league. Well, if the Coyotes are doing this on their scouting level, then what other teams are doing it? And I think going forward, you're going to see other players and uh, maybe... Some whistleblowers from these organizations, former people, former employees, come out and say, "Well, we've kind of done this too," and so this is going to be have to have to conversation we're going to have to have with all these other teams, and there's going to be have to have to be a hard black or white standard that's set. This is how far you can go, and these are the things that's not allowed. And if you get caught doing these, then you know, fine of two hundred fifty thousand dollars or whatever.
1: And of course, the uh, the Coyotes did issue a statement for this, and they said, um, "We are aware of the reports." And we have discussed the matter with NHL and we will have to, we have no further comment this time. So basically they're not admitting or denying anything, just kind of, you know, no comment. So we will see what happens. But one person I want to talk to you, Matt, is my boy, Alex Ovechkin.
2: That's right. Alex Ovechkin seems to make our sheet of news every week. It seems he's just on a freaking tear. He really is. I mean, look at this. He is
1: two goals away from 700. And he is inching closer, it seems like, almost every game to Wayne Gretzky. I think, Matt, he can do it. I think he can catch Gretzky
2: and beat him. I mean, maybe. He might catch him in the goals, but he's not going to touch him in points. But at least having a discussion, there's a possibility. Honestly, it's pretty exciting. Like I don't get tired of of talking about this. I like to say, you know, leave my greats alone. Don't touch my Isermans and my Messiers and, and that type. But just to have a conversation of a guy, we've talked about it before, Who's able to do in this modern era of high skilled and talent league to do what Gretzky did in the old days to have a conversation that he might overpass him is is quite incredible. In fact, you know, Ovechkin passed Eiserman. you know, I think it was last week in the news or whatever for on the all-time list. And I know Eiserman once he caught wind of that, uh, replied to ovechkin and, and after he saw what he did, and he said, you know, if you ever do break Gretzky's all-time record for more skulls in the league, uh, after watching your Stanley Cup celebrations, I want to be invited to your party. So I think that's pretty telling. Uh, everybody, even the all-time greats, are on notice. This isn't just, you know, a fanboy's in us wanting to see something exciting. Even Steve Ayers I and mean, all the greats, Temu Solani, they're all on watch because uh, Ovechkin's living up the la- life of legends here.
1: I mean, even the great one himself says that Ovi has a legitimate shot. And if that doesn't say anything compared to any other greats, if the great one himself self says this guy has a chance to break my record. It's going to be amazing.
2: Yeah. And, and what's interesting about Ovechkin, you know, you guys have a, have a lifespan and then they tailor off as they get older. Their production seems to go down, but Ovechkin uh, has gotten better. I think I read a stat. I didn't write it down because I'm I'm getting tired of writing down all the Ovechkin stats. It gets a little overwhelming, but I think he was only like the second guy after age 35 to have this many points or this many goals in however many seasons. Only second guy in history to do whatever it was. What just speaks to the fact that as time progresses, he's not slowing down. He is, he's heating up, man. You know, we had back-to-back hat tricks the other night and now that he is so close, we talked about, you know, maybe he's he's getting old He might be thinking about retirement, but now that he's so close and it seems every week he's passing another guy on the great all-time list. I think, honestly, it starts to wonder in his head, maybe I can do this. And maybe I would have retired in a year or two, maybe, but now he might not settle. He might not retire until he completes his goal. And I think you know he's a very determined player, Ovechkin, and he's not slowing down, so I don't see any reason why he needs to retire. He might want to see this thing through and see, see if he can do it for real. And I think that's a very real possibility.
1: I think he will too. But Matt, let's get off the Ovechkin show a little bit. Like you said, we can talk about it all day. Do you have any other stats for us where we close the showdown?
2: Well, I know the main thing that we haven't got to talk about this episode that I'd like to mention before we close is, I don't know if you've seen this guy, Columbus Blue Jackets goalie Elvis, Merz Lincolns is on fire actually Merz Lickens, but close enough, man. Uh, whatever. So this guy is 8-0 and in eight starts. He had back-to-back shutouts. He had five shutouts in eight games, which uh, that's five shutouts accounts for the most in the NHL. So this guy has been on an absolute freaking tear. Nobody's ever heard of him, really. And he's currently leading the league in, say, percentage. Uh, man, he, he, I think he was the number one uh, first star of the week this week as well. This guy is on a tear, and he's just one example. There's a couple other hot goalies right now that are just lighting it up and really carrying their team on their back. And it's just incredible to see because I like to watch the Calder Cup uh, race every year. I like to see players like McCarr and them go for it and see uh, Victor Olofsson. I like to see who's going to win uh, the, the rookie race, really. And I love to see young talent develop. And especially, we talk about the Preds organization all the time, seeing these young guys come in, seeing where they fit in the NHL lineup. And I like to see these guys, you know, they're high, highly anticipated. Number one picks, number two picks in the draft. They come into the league, they make us, they make a tear. They're storming out. They're getting goals. You know, my boy Pedersen has been taking a lick uh, around the league lately. He's been getting some uh, slashings and uh, tripping and hooking all all over the place lately. But I like to see young players like that see exactly what they can do. And this guy, uh, Elvis, uh, goalie Elvis, he's just another one of those young talent players. Who's it's just great to watch them prosper and to know that they've got what it takes to not just make it in the minor leagues and you know the AHLs or whatever, but they can do it on the NHL level. And I just always root for those guys because they're like the underdog. So uh, hats off to my guy there. But you know, honestly, speaking of goalies, he's not the only one that's been hot lately. I'll go ahead and go to some of my milestone sheet here. Vasilevsky is also one of those guys that's been on the tear. He is uh, now the fourth player, fourth goalie in history to have 150 wins before 250 games. And he was on a 17-game point streak, which is incredible. 17-game point streak, uh, which passes my boy Nikolai Habibullian's streak uh, back in '03. For now, uh, Vasilevsky is the longest streak by a Russian in NHL history. And uh, they used to call him Habibullian, the, the Bulin Wall.
1: I don't even know how to say that name.
2: Yeah, I know. I, I threw that out there because everybody knows I like the Russians, and it was a stat about Russians. So, uh, hats off to Vasilevsky. Also, another guy, uh, Washington's goalie, uh, Ilya Samsonov, is now the fourth uh, goalie in history to win 16 out of his 21st games. And now, some of these stats I think are weighted, you know, because obviously Tampa Bay is a great team, Washington Cavaliers are a great team. So, they make it a little bit easier. But just the fact that you can do it consistently like that, that's that's really nice, and that does good for the psyche of you know a young player or a backup goalie or whatever coming into the league. That does very well, and uh, and also a hat tip to my boy marc Andre Fleury passes Henrik Lundqvist for fifth all time in wins.
1: You know it's a shame that a uh, Lundqvist may retire and not get a cup.
2: Exactly, and that's kind of sad. I think if he was on a team like a Capitals or whatever, you know Rangers used to be good, but the last couple of years. You know, they haven't done much for him to help him get any more wins. And, and that is sad because uh, that's another guy that everybody loves. And a uh, guy that I love, I saved a couple best for last, obviously. Uh, my boy Zidane Chara got presented with the Golden Gloves after having played 1,500 games, which is pretty incredible. Uh, you, I was thinking, man, I wonder if you, I could skate around with those Golden Gloves. But that might be something you have to hang around, uh, hang up in the the Hall of Fame shrine with all your awards and stuff in, in the man cave. I think that's what's going to have to happen for uh, my boys of Daniel Chara. And same number, uh, Jumbo Joe is now the 14th player in history to have 1,500 points. And I will end with Phil the Thrill Kessel has now eclipsed Andrew Cogliano for sixth longest Ironman streak uh, by skating in 831 games straight. So that's one of those random stats that I love. I love my Ironmans uh, seeing guys that can stay in there and stay healthy I think it's whether it's genetics or a play style but uh it's good for them guys you know it's nice to not be hurt obviously so I always appreciate you guys that that are tough and they're the real deal the uh the John Waynes of the crowd and I appreciate that so hats off to you feel the thrill maybe it's those hot dogs that uh, maybe it's healthier <laughs> than everybody thinks I don't know
1: uh dude hot dogs are not healthy at all I'm sorry
2: they taste good though
1: but you know what ice cream sandwiches are healthier than hot dogs any day of the week I'll take it. So guys, game's coming up. We've got the Preds in Vancouver tonight to take on the Canucks to see if they can't close that road trip out with two more points. And then on Thursday night, the 13th, New York Islanders come into town with Barry Trotz. And then on Saturday, the 15th, and Sunday, the 16th, we are going to have a back-to-back home-and-home game against St. Louis. Saturday, the 15th, we're going to be in St. Louis. And then on the 16th, they're going to be down here at Bridgestone. And on the 18th, the Carolina Hurricanes come into town, so we're going to have to give a shout-out to the Revolution Rampage podcast. And then on the 21st, we are going to be in Chicago to take on a Friday night evening game. And then finally, before we record again, the Columbus Blue Jackets will be coming into town. And maybe we can prevent Elvis Lickens from getting a shout out against us. But guys, thank you so much for listening to the show today. I want to say thank you once again to Robbie Stanley for joining us. You can find the show on iTunes at Music City Gold. And you can also find us on Twitter at Music City Gold. And if you follow Penalty Box Radio, you can find us on their iTunes feed, which is Penalty Box Radio or on their website at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. So till next time, guys, we'll see you on the ice. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box
0: Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at C. Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the
3: ice.